Well, we're back in Proverbs. What a shock. And this week, I've been a little concerned about Proverbs, and I'll tell you why. We, we are in Proverbs 6. Basically, the way Proverbs is laid out, the first nine chapters, you have a father talking to a son about moral issues, different kinds of moral issues. And then you get into roughly around Proverbs 10, and he starts coming up with the pithy two-line Proverbs that we're all so familiar with. Uh, but the first section of Proverbs is big issues, moral issues, that a son is going to encounter as he goes through life. Now, what's interesting is, as you're going through Proverbs, he will come back and address an issue that he's already dealt with. Uh, that's, that's what we're looking at tonight. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 20, the issue of adultery comes up again. Well, we've already dealt with adultery in this study. We've dealt with it several times. But now we're back to adultery. And as I was looking at this section and thinking about this section, uh, beginning in 6, verse 20, actually for the next 42 verses, it deals with adultery. Uh, 6.20 all the way to the end of chapter 6, then chapter 7, the entire ch chapter of 7 is all about adultery. When we've just talked about it, when we've just discussed it, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, I'm going to start sounding like a broken record. But that's what's in the text. So I'm thinking about it. I'm working on it. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I wish we could kind of move on to something else. And then I got a phone call last night from uh, a gal that I've known for 30 years. <clears throat> I was in a Bible study when I was in college. And it was a, it was a great Bible study. A lot of friendships came out of that Bible study. A lot of uh, dating went on out of that Bible study. A lot of marriages took place out of that Bible study uh, 30 years ago. Uh, the gal that called me last night uh, was in that study. Um, her husband, who recently passed away, was in the Bible study. And she called me and left a voicemail and asked me to immediately call her back and it was uh, there was a real sense of urgency so I called her right back and she asked me if I remembered a particular guy and I said sure because the first time I had ever met her she was with this guy and had been dating him for a couple of years so I remembered the guy so first time I meet her she's at the Bible study with this guy who's been her boyfriend for two years well during the course of the Bible study and while we're in college, they break up. She meets another guy in the study, winds up marrying him. This guy meets another gal in the study, winds up marrying him. So everybody's been married about 30-something years. So she calls me. She says, you remember this guy? I said, yeah. She said, he called me last week because he had just found out about her husband dying. Um, and he was just calling to say that he and his wife had just found out and they're sorry they hadn't communicated, but gosh you know it was just they, they wanted to say how sorry they were and it was just a nice phone call and they hadn't talked and well since that bible so they hadn't talked in 30 years just wanted to say hi you know they're praying for etc great but last night she got home and she's opening her mail and there's a card from this guy and the card basically she read it to me and the card basically says oh and by this way by the way this guy and his wife are in a church in another city 
He's a worship leader. Uh, he's got three kids. He's kind of a pillar in the church kind of deal, you know. If he was here in this area, if he went, to, he'd probably be at the study tonight kind of thing. She starts reading this card to me, and the card, the, the, basically, the guy says, uh, so sorry to hear about your husband. It's great to talk with you the other night. I need to tell you that you've always been the love of my life. And for 30 years, you've been on my mind. Um, uh, I still have these feelings. And these feelings have never gone away, and you've always been in my heart. And I'm going to be traveling here in the next couple of weeks near you. And I'd like to meet with you. And I'm wondering if you have the same feelings that I have. So she called me. And uh, it just blew her away. Completely and totally. And uh, she was worried about, obviously, she had no feelings. She hadn't thought about the guy in 30 years. But he was sure thinking about her. She knows the wife. And... Uh, She's concerned, well, what about the guy's wife? And what about his marriage and all this? And she's just, what do I do? And as we're talking, uh, she didn't, she said, I don't, even want to, I don't want to respond. I said, well, don't respond. I said, why don't I give him a call? Because <laughs> she, she didn't want to talk to the guy, which is absolutely understandable. So um, 10 o'clock this morning, I talked with him. And... Uh, I, I'll call him Tom. I said, Tom, Steve Farrar. And he said, hey, Steve, how you doing? And I said, well, I'm not doing real well because I talked with, uh, yeah, I talked with Linda last night. You know, the problem with using the wrong names is you forget what names you used. <laughs> but it's Linda. What's the guy's name? Tom? All right. So thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it, you know. <laughs> And I said, I, I talked with uh, Linda last night, and she read the letter to me. He said, can I call you right back on another line? <laughs> and I said, sure. And he did, right away. And uh, we had a very good conversation. And I said, hey, uh, she was stunned. I was stunned, because this is not how we remember you. And um, he said, yeah, he said, I was, I was out of line completely. He said, I, I will never contact her again, ever. And you can tell her that. And I said, good, because it really threw her for a curve. And, and, and it raised questions. She's concerned about you and your wife, and she doesn't want your wife to think there's anything between you. And he goes, no, I know, I'm aware of that. And, so we talked for about 10 minutes, and he just completely backed off, which was great. I, I, I was really pleased to hear that. But I was stunned, to tell you the truth, because as we talked, he said, well, you know, my wife and I have been married 32 years. And he said, it hasn't been an easy ride. I said, it never is. Everybody has their ups. Everybody has their downs. I said, you got kids? He goes, yeah. I said, well, so do I. I said, you know what our kids need? They need for us to stay married. 
that's what we need to do. That's the greatest thing you can do for, for, for them is to stay with it and stay the course. Um, I said, I want to ask you something before, before I go, and I appreciate your response, but it seemed to me that you were really making an overture to reconnect with her. And he said, yeah, I was. He said, I won't ever do it again. I said, good. And that was it. And then he thanked me for calling. And it was, I didn't expect it to go that well. I really didn't. But um, it, it did. And then when I got off the phone uh, last night, I thought, well, this is why Proverbs keeps bringing up adultery. Because you see, we don't deal with temptation just once in our lives, do we? It's going to come up as we go through life. Uh, it's going to come up in your 20s. Sexual temptation comes up when you're in your 20s. It comes up in your 30s. And you, sexual temptation comes up as long as you're on the face of the earth. That's why, that's why Proverbs keeps going back to it, because it's a huge issue in a man's life. And you think you got it under control, and you think you got it nailed, and you think you got it, you know, nailed down, and then, boom, something will happen. So, with that in mind, we go to Proverbs 6, verse 20. And here's what we read. And it fits the whole context of the book. My son, observe the commandment of your father. You've got to understand here, Proverbs is presuming that there is a godly father and a godly mother here. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your neck. Take it back. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. What will guide you? The instructions of a godly father, the instructions of a godly mother. If you had parents like that, even after, maybe your parents are dead, but if they were godly people, the things they said to you as you were growing up, you still remember. Those things are still on your mind. You can still hear your dad. You can still hear the things that he instructed you in regard to life. Those things come back to your mind. Uh, you, you carry them. You wrap them. You know, you see these guys walking around with these iPods. That's what you do when you've got a godly father. Uh, you've got a recording of, of the truths that he taught you, and you keep that with you as you go through life. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. Uh, the, these are precepts. These are the things that, that fathers lay out for their children. Uh, someone handed me this just a little bit ago. A lot of you guys remember Roy Rogers. And you'll remember Dale. And you'll remember uh, Pat Brady, who drove the Jeep. Huh? Trigger? You remember Trigger? So some of you guys are really, you're zoning out on me here. Uh, yeah, uh, Dale had a horse by the name of Buttermilk. Very good. Pat Brady had a Jeep that was named Jeep. No, that's not right. Nellie Bell. Anyway, you could, uh, hey, you could, I used to have a Roy Rogers lunch pail. Um, I've got a Roy Rogers Bible, actually, right here, with Roy and Dale on the front. But to join the Roy Rogers Club, there were some rules. 
that you had to agree to that Roy had laid out. Here's the first rule. Be neat and clean. Two, be courteous and polite. Three, always obey your parents. Four, protect the weak and help them. Five, be brave but never take chances. Six, study hard and learn all you can. Seven, be kind to animals and take care of them. Eight, eat all your food and never waste any. We always followed that in my family. <laughs> Nine, love God and go to Sunday school regularly. Shoot, if, he, if they had the Roy Rogers Club now, the ACLU would sue this guy because that's not diverse. Ten, always respect our flag in our country. So, you know, little kids looked up to Roy and, you know, all that. Well, Roy had some rules. You see, Roy had some principles that he taught. And, see, that's not unlike what a father does. So now, you see, with that being set up, now the father's going to move right into it. So in verse 24, actually 23, he says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. The word of God is always referred to as light. It's referred to as a lamp. The commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light. As you're walking through life, you need light. You need to see what's there because it's very, very dark. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Now catch this. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Um, he, he's jumping right into it, and he is getting very, very specific. He's not talking in generalities. Now, in, in the time in which this was written, there was obviously uh, no internet, there were no porn sites. Uh, there were no uh, gentlemen's clubs that you could visit when you're out of town. There was no soft pornography or hard pornography on TV when you're traveling in a hotel or in, you know, after your family goes to bed that you could access. Basically, the only way that you could get yourself involved uh, in a wrong relationship with someone other than your wife was to go hook up with a harlot so that's why she's mentioned here that what historically that's been how men express themselves sexually outside of marriage uh, but what's that commercial today that uses the phrase the possibilities are endless see back then the possibilities weren't endless the possibilities quite frankly were, were very very small in our culture the possibilities to get involved with a harlot to get involved with a um, woman who would seduce you, the possibilities are absolutely endless. And, and so the women that are involved with phone sex or in pornography or uh, internet stuff, those women are the equivalent of harlots. Even though you don't have actual sexual intercourse, they're playing the role of the harlot because what they are doing, you see the seventh commandment says, thou shall not commit adultery the flip side of that commandment see that commandment is given in order to preserve and maintain the institution of marriage that God ordained at creation so it's like a coin with two sides you shall not commit adultery 
The flip side of that, why not? Because if you're married, you're going outside the marriage bond and you're breaking your commitment. And as we're going to see here, all kinds of bad things happen. He's getting real specific here in regard to the process and in regard to the, um, the allurement that takes place. He's not giving generalities here. Yeah, just stay away from that stuff. Uh, notice what he says. Uh, he describes her in 24, the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Catch this, 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Because that's where it always starts. It, it, it starts in the heart. And the way we're wired as guys, we see and we see beauty and we want to go with it. We want to pursue it. I, I, I'm almost sure I use this illustration, but a while back, I'm going to use it again because it, it, it paints the picture. The story is told of a guy in a third world country that was in at twilight, the sun's going down, uh, he, he's in a river and he's swimming and as the sun's going down, he just, he looks up river, I mean there's nobody, he looks up river and quite a distance off, he, he looks because he, it looks like he sees, the, looks like there's a woman up there, but he's not quite sure so he just starts moving a little closer and, and it is a woman uh, he can make that out he can tell her shape and her figure and she really has quite a remarkable figure well he knows he shouldn't but he keeps kind of making his way upstream and uh, she is beautiful in 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 her form and he can see it as she is silhouetted her back is slightly towards away from him but but he can see what's there and Again, he, he, in his conscience, he knows that he shouldn't, but she's bathing, she's naked. He keeps slowly making his way. She's not aware of, her, of, of, of his presence. He's really conflicted, but he keeps moving upstream, quietly, slowly. And then she turns and sees him. She's completely naked. And that's when he sees the leprosy all over her face. See, there's beauty, but there's always leprosy when you're talking about adultery. When you're talking about a sexual relationship out of marriage, it's never quite what you hoped it would be. Always. But it starts in the heart, doesn't it? Do you see that? Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Uh, where this stuff has to be... Sexual immorality and the temptation for adultery, where we get in trouble, guys, is where we don't nip it at the root. And the root issue is the heart. Um, this guy I was talking with this morning, uh, he's been thinking about this gal for 32 years. For 32 years, he's been thinking. He's been pondering. He's, and, what's, and, and quite frankly, what's happened is he has um, blown it up in his imagination far beyond the realm of reality. Uh, but for 30 years, instead of nipping it, instead of dealing with it, it's continued to conceive uh, in his heart. The new Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit edition's out. Did you know that? 
Yeah, we've got free copies we're handing out on your way out here tonight. Now, the reason I know that is that I got an email. And I didn't, I, I, I mean, I said, I'm going through my email, and I clicked, it's Sports Illustrated. It didn't say, it just said, it just said Sports Illustrated, new issue. And I thought, why? I clicked on it, boom, there's the cover. And there's this gal. I mean, you know, you know the drill. You know how they do it. Good-looking girl. You know, they don't put ugly girls on there. They don't put girls that are 200 pounds overweight, you know, because you'd throw up your lasagna. Because there's nothing attractive about that. Here's a girl. Can, you look? Can I imagine she's 22? I got a daughter that's older than that. And there it is, you see. And this girl was, I mean, she was gorgeous. So what do you do with that? I, I remember Rachel's, let's see, she's 25. I remember um, she was about 10. I got a call from Sports Illustrated. I had intended to re renew my subscription. Just hadn't gotten around to it. I get a call from Sports Illustrated. Hey, we'd like you to renew, and if you renew tonight, we'll send you the Michael Jordan video. We'll send you, you know, the Larry Bird gym shorts. We'll send you the, you know, the Magic Johnson, uh, you know, mug. I mean, I just figured I was going to subscribe, but they kept going, so I, I wanted to hear what they had. And they just kept going. And, 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 and along with that comes the swimsuit edition. And I said to the lady, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take all that other stuff. I mean, I'll sign up. But uh, I said, don't send me the swimsuit edition. And she said, well, well, I'm not sure we can do that. I said, oh, yeah, you can do it. I said, you got a delete key there? And she said, yeah. I said, well, just delete it. I, I'll take the other stuff, but I don't want the swimsuit edition. She said, this is highly irregular. <laughs> I said, yeah, it is. And she said, well, th this, it, it comes with the package. I said, I don't need it. And she said, well, I'm not, I, I said, Listen, I got a wife. She's already got a swimsuit. <laughs> That's what I said to her. Well, you know, a couple weeks later, come home. I'm standing there in the kitchen, about ready to sit down for dinner. I'm going through the mail. Guess, guess, I take off the envelopes. You know, guess what's there? Swimsuit edition. And some gal, you know, you know, get, you know, all hanging out of her top, and you know, and just as as I'm going through mail and I, and I pull that out, here comes my daughter. And she just froze. And she said, you're not going to look at that, are you, Daddy? Because you see, little girls don't want their fathers looking at that. Because that frightens them. And it scares them. And they intuitively know that that's something that is a threat to their family and to their mother. And I said, sweetheart, I'm not going to look at that. In fact, I asked them not to send it. You see. Now, you know, some guys think that's funny. Tell you're legalistic. Yeah, I am. If you want to call it that. All, all I'm saying is, Tell me anything good that can come out of that. If you're a married guy, you tell me anything. If you're a single guy, tell, tell, me, tell me good things that can come out of that, going through that issue and checking those girls out. There's not one good thing that can come out of it. Because see, what's going to happen is, what is going to happen is, is that you're going to desire her beauty in your heart. And she doesn't belong to you. So you've got to nip that stuff. You've got to cut that stuff off at the root. Otherwise, it'll kill you. But because of the beauty 
because of the beauty that's there, we get conned. He, goes, he says, don't let her capture you with her eyelids. For on, of account, for on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. I, 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 I really like that. Um, a loaf of bread has no backbone. A loaf of bread is spineless. A loaf of bread cannot stand up to anything. Think of the Pillsbury Doughboy in an oven of 350 degrees. That's a loaf of bread. Isn't it amazing the beauty of a woman, what it can do to a guy? It can cause you to throw away your life and lose your mind and start behaving in a way that is absolutely, totally irrational. He goes on. And he, he's, he, he is very specific here. He says in verse 27, and I want you to notice how strong this guy is. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. You can't build. You can't build a life. You can't build a family. You can't build anything good when you violate that seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. You can't do it. Because one of the reasons is, guys, when we sin... We never sin alone. We, we like to have this idea that I can sin and get away with it, and it's not going to affect anybody except me. Sin always affects somebody else. Uh, a while back when I was reading uh, Paul Johnson's History of, of America, he had a section in here that really fascinated me, and he was talking about the growth of America, and he was talking about uh, the frontier and how these people were going out on, to the West and settling this, this huge nation and the things that were happening. Uh, he talks about the 1800 census um, that revealed a population increase of 35% uh, over 10 years. And, and then it was up another 36% the next 10 years. And it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And... Uh, by 1820, it was, it was starting to double every 20 years. And one congressman said this to a foreign dignitary. He said, I invite you to go to the West and visit one of our log cabins and number its inhabitants. There you will find a strong, stout youth of 18, along with his wife, his better half, just commencing the first struggles of independent life. 30 years from that time, visit them again. And instead of two, you will find in that same family, 22. Because back then, people got married at 18. And they had kids. So you give, it, you give this guy who's 18, you give him 30 years, and he's 48. Not only is he going to have kids, and they had a lot of kids. They didn't have two kids or three kids. They had a lot of kids because they never knew if a kid was going to live. So they have seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 kids. And then before you know it, you're just, you're having kid number 10, 11, and you're 
first son is already married and he's got kids you've got so the, that's how a house grows from two to 22 but but you see that's how a nation was built you don't build something like that based on adultery do you see there's got to be fidelity there's got to be commitment how i behave in my family affects those around me it affects a community it affects a nation you don't build a nation based on immorality you can't do we didn't do it we're trying to do it now but what was done in this country couldn't be done when that commandment was all the time being violated even in the 1960s some of you guys are old enough to remember this nelson rockefeller who was governor of new york divorced his wife and took up with uh, and left his kids and took up with a young married woman uh who, who had, I believe, four children, and it was an absolute scandal in the early 60s. It, it was so scandalous that, uh, that a man by the name of Prescott Bush, who was a United States senator from Connecticut, publicly stood up and uh, reprimanded uh, Rockefeller. Now that thing happens, that happens all the time. In the 60s, in the early 60s, that was horrific. You couldn't do that and survive politically. You can't build anything out of that. But how things have changed. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. What we have in the, in the 60s, we had the uh, sexual revolution. So what were we watching on the news last night? Some dentist who's involved in NAMBLA. Most people have never heard of NAMBLA the North American Man-Boy Love Association. NAMBLA's been around for years in the gay rights movement, but they don't want you to know about it. You go to any gay rights parade, the NAMBLA guys are there in full force marching. You see, isn't that amazing? See, once things begin to break down, where it goes. Uh, you, you just take marriage. 40 years ago, we were a culture of marriage. In 40 years, we switched to a culture of divorce. It's absolutely frightening. We, we don't sin alone. You can't build anything great out of adultery. You just can't do it. I got something I want to quote here. Hey, I got a clock up here. I'm really excited about this, but not as excited as you are. Because <laughs> what happens, I get going on this stuff, and I, and I lose my time. So I had Lou get me this <laughs> clock, and uh, it's on Pacific Standard Time. So, <laughs> But I'm watching this sucker. Okay. Ronald Sider has written a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. It's reviewed. I've got the book review here from Christianity Today. And the book review by itself is about 10 pages on this book. Uh, give you a couple shots out of this thing. Scandalous behavior is rapidly destroying American Christianity. By their daily activity, most Christians regularly commit treason. With their mouths, they claim that Jesus is Lord, but with their actions, they demonstrate allegiance to money, sex, and self-fulfillment. And he covers all, a bunch of different moral issues here. Uh, and he mentions George Gallup and George Barna. Uh, George Gallup is a committed evangelical Christian, and we're all familiar with the Gallup poll. But Gallup, for years and years and years, has, has been... Uh, 
uh, running polls on evangelical Christians to find out what they believe and all this. There, there's a lot of information he's been gathering for 25, 30 years. And there's another pollster named George Barna. And Barna does the same thing. Uh, well, much of this study and this book is done, is, is, is based on the studies of the polls that Barna and Gallup have done. So they're hitting different issues. He, uh, he goes to divorce. He says in a, in a 1999 national survey, George Barna found that the average of born-again Christians who had experienced divorce was slightly higher than that of non-Christians, 26% to 22%. Did you catch that? So the divorce rate among Christians is higher than non-Christians. In Barna's poll since the mid-1990s, that number has remained about the same. In August 2001, a new poll found that the divorce rate was about the same for born-again Christians and the population as a whole. Um, Barna also found in one study that 90% of all divorced, born-again Christians divorced after they accepted Christ. Let me read that again. He found that 90% of all divorced, born-again Christians divorced after they accepted Christ. Barna followed this. Barna makes a distinction between born-again Christians and evangelical Christians. Barna classifies as born-again all who say they've made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in their life today. And also believe that they will die, uh, that when they die, they'll go to heaven because they've confessed their sin. So if, if you say, yes, I've trusted Christ, and I'm going to go to heaven, um, quote, unquote, you're a born-again Christian. That comprises 42% of the American population. But then he has another category that he calls evangelical Christians that comprise 7% of the population. What is an evangelical Christian? Um, in addition to meeting the criteria for being born again, evangelicals must agree with several other things. Other than Christ died for my sins and I've asked him to come into my life and I believe I'm going to heaven. They also must believe some other things, such as Jesus lived a sinless life, eternal salvation is only through grace and not works, uh, Christians have a responsibility to evangelize, Satan is real and exists, um, the resurrection of Jesus is literally true, See, what, he's, what he's saying is, you got this broad group, yes, I've asked Jesus to come into my heart. Then you got another group, much smaller, that have asked Christ to come into their life to forgive them of their sin, and they are going to go to heaven. But they also believe that he lived a sinless life, that he was born of a virgin, uh, that he went to the cross as a substitutionary atonement, that on the third day he rose from the dead, that he's at the right hand of the Father, that one day he's coming back. The Bible's the word of God. Some real basic, essential things. You see, now you would expect of the larger group, you would expect, wouldn't you, that their behavior would not be as on target as the group that has more of a doctrinal foundation. That makes sense to me. So the larger group, the divorce rate is pretty much the same as non-Christians. But when you get to the evangelical, what he calls evangelical Christians, the seven or eight percent, that believe the right things, you know what's interesting? The divorce rate among that group is virtually the same as among non-Christians. There is no difference. None. Why is that? We've said this about Solomon during the course of this study because Solomon was the greatest shipwreck in the Bible. He had all this truth, he had all this wisdom, <laughs> is it not true? It is true. Well, the guy shipwrecked his life. 
That's because Solomon had the Proverbs in his head. He didn't have the Proverbs in his heart. See, that's the danger. This study goes on, and one of the interesting things about the study is, is that the divorce rate among evangelical Christians in the South is higher than any other region in the United States. And what's fascinating about that is um, they discovered the divorce rate in the Bible Belt was roughly 50% above the national average. Governor Frank Keating of Oklahoma pointed out the irony of these unusually high divorce rates that existed in this state where 70% of the people go to church once a week or more. These divorce rates, Governor Keating concluded, are a scalding indictment of what isn't being said behind the pulpit. So see, you can, you can believe right things. You, you can say, oh yeah, man, I'm in. Th this guy I was talking to this morning, I'll tell you about this guy. He believes in the inerrancy of the Bible. He leads worship in his church. This guy is doctrinally sound, absolutely down the line. He's not a liberal. He's not even a moderate. And you know what a moderate is. A moderate is a liberal in drag. They just don't have the guts to come out and say what they are. This guy is a theological conservative, and for 32 years, another woman has had his heart. And by his own admission, he was just about, you know what's really interesting? What if he had written that letter and she had gotten back to him and said, yes, I am interested. You know what? That sucker was going over the falls. He was already, he'd already decided he was going. Yet he believes this book, he believes Jesus is the God. He'd fight you in an argument over the virgin birth of Christ. That's where he is. The question is, where am I and where are you? See, that's the question. It comes down, it comes down to what's in our heart and it comes out to what we, see, that's what in a, is in our head, comes out through our heart and comes out through our behavior and comes out through what we do. This is the danger of this, guys. And he keeps going back to this adultery thing. Really, this is what brought Solomon down. Although legally he was married, he was married to 700 women. And he married foreign women, which uh, Deuteronomy, not, not Deuteronomy, where are we? Proverbs, which Proverbs 6 specifically says you're not to marry the foreign woman. Well, that's what he went and did 700 times, plus he had 300 concubines. That's why he says in verse 32, when he's in his right mind to his son, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. Absolutely. Why? Because he who would destroy himself does it. Um, Thomas Watson says this in his book on the Ten Commandments. He says, naturalists write that if a stork leaving his own mate joins with any other stork, all the rest of the storks fall upon it and pull its feathers from it. Because storks mate for life. Stork wants to leave and go mate with another stork, there are social consequences. Storks practice church discipline. <laughs> Oops, they'll pull your feathers out. Not to destroy, what? Well, 
I don't read the, I, I, I don't read the New York Times anymore. I don't buy the New York Times. But I made an exception on Sunday. Uh, I did. And I found an article in the New York Times uh, on, on, uh, on divorce. And the, and the newest thing in New York right now is that when you divorce, you send out announcements and you have a party. And they interviewed people that do wedding cakes. Well, about a third of their business now is starting to be, that's probably too high, is starting to become divorce cakes. And the real trendy thing to do is that you have a cake, but it's cut in half. That's the real cool hip thing. Is, is that not staggering? Hmm. If you notice chapter 7, verse 5, he, he again is reminding his son of what he has taught him. The commandments, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Look at verse 5. That they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. Now see, that's what Solomon went ahead and violated in his life. He, his, he, married, he married Pharaoh's daughter. He never should have done that. She was a foreigner. She brought her gods. Let me say something about these women. Because, you know, there, there are women that will come on to guys. I was having lunch with a guy this week, and uh, we were talking about business, and uh, he's in sales, and he has been for 40 years. And he was telling me he was shocked when he first started traveling and some of the experiences he had. You know, he uh, committed to his wife, never violated that trust, but he was shocked in different situations on the road how brazen women would be. Just absolutely shocked by it. He would, uh, let me take a look at my clock here. He would, uh, he was on a business trip, you know, with, with, a, with another guy. They're making a sales call. He's training this guy. Um, they get in an elevator, go up to the fifth floor. Some gal gets in. He says, how are you today? You know, just being polite, you know, courteous. Can I punch a button for you? Number four, so, you know, punch it. All right. All right. That's it. That's all he said. They go in. They're having the sales meeting. You know, they're making the presentation. Secretary comes in and says, excuse me, uh, there's, there's a woman out here that needs to see you. And um, um, he said, really? Because he's like in Minneapolis or something. And he comes out, and here's the gal from the elevator. And, and said, um, would you like to have lunch with me? And, and, and he was in a state of shock that she would be so brazen. She tracked him down. He's in a meeting, calls him out of the meeting. Would you like to have lunch with me? And he saw the wedding ring. He said, well, I see you have a wedding ring. He says, I've got one too. I won't have lunch with you. He turned around and walked back into the meeting. Now, now he shared that story with his sons when they entered into the business world. And he shared it with his son-in-law. See, what he did was, he, 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 he's practicing Proverbs. He is letting these young guys know, who are committed and love the Lord and love their wives, he's letting them know what they're going to encounter down the road. This is, this is going to hit you some way, sometime, somewhere. Just be prepared. It happens in churches. It happens all the time in churches. 
Fred Stoker's book this week, and uh, he says this. He says, I know five couples who once led important marriage ministries. Not involved in marriage ministry, they led them. They're all now divorced. All five, all five husbands who could articulate the language and customs of a Christian marriage seem to have marriages made in heaven. One proclaimed openly that God hates divorce. But later his action said, God told me to marry my mistress so I can have a happy life. Once in a newsletter proclaiming the sanctity of marriage, but later his actions inexplicably declared, God told me it's okay to divorce my wife since he never wanted me to marry her in the first place. Well, that's convenient. Another proclaimed the marriage bed must be kept pure, but later, um, but he later hit the sack with his mistress protesting that my wife hates oral sex. If I can't get it at home, I'm going to get it somewhere else. These guys lead, they, they led marriage ministries. Um, and the women they got involved with probably were women that were coming to the ministry and involved in the opening of the Word of God. See, what, what I'm saying is, a lot of times foreign women are in the camp and in your circle. And uh, they, they sense, they, they, well, you know what? They're predators. They're going to come after you. And if you don't have it real clear in your head and real clear in your heart, what you're going to do. See, that's, that's a decision you've got to have real clear before it ever comes up. Real clear. Chapter 7, he keeps talking to his son. Uh, verse 6, he says, I looked out, I looked at, uh, for out of, out, <laughs> I'm having trouble tonight. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice. And I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near, near her corner. And he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. Uh, young men, their sexual drive is high. Uh, we understand that about young men. At the beginning of World War I, um, the American Bible Society provided a, a New Testament for every soldier that was going off to war. And they asked Theodore Roosevelt, the former president, to uh, pin a message to each of these young soldiers. And what he put in there came to be known as the Micah Mandate. Here's what he wrote. He quoted Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do... Now, can you imagine... I mean, what about the separation of church and state? First of all. We had a real problem with this. He quotes Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And then, Teddy Roosevelt wrote this, the whole teaching of the New Testament is actually foreshadowed in Micah's verse. Roosevelt exhorted the men to lead the world in both word and deed through unimpeachable moral uprightness. In his brief message to the soldiers, he explained, and I quote, do justice. Young guys going to war. 
do justice and therefore fight valiantly against those who stand for the reign of Moloch, who was a god that was worshipped in the Old Testament and to whom they would sacrifice children to, Solomon set up the idol of Moloch in Jerusalem towards the end of his life. Stand against those who stand for the reign of Moloch and Beelzebub on this earth. Now catch this, love mercy. Treat your enemies well. Succor the afflicted. Treat every woman as if she were your sister. That's right out of 1 Timothy and Titus. That the, that the young men are to treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. These guys are going to war. I was reading this week that when uh, Hitler went down, you know, the American and Brits, we held back and Stalin went in to Germany before we did. The conservative estimates is that those Russian soldiers raped, um, raped at least 100,000 German women. See, that's what Teddy Roosevelt didn't want to happen with American soldiers. He was reminding them that they had a moral obligation to be honorable men, and he took them to the Word of God, and he instructed them. That was handed to every American soldier. You're, you're to behave differently because we believe different things. Well, he's warning this guy. And he gets very, very, he gets very, very specific. He's warning this young man. Um, verse 13. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with, with mirror and aloes and cinnamon and Victoria's Secret and all that stuff. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. This is exactly what Potiphar's wife said to Joseph. You remember that? And Joseph was a slave. God gave him favor. He's working as a slave for Potiphar, but he's promoted. God's with him. He's been given everything by Potiphar, but Potiphar has his wife, and she wants to sleep with Joseph. And the Bible says day after day, she was all over this guy. And he was a young guy in his 20s. He was a young stud. He worked out every day. You know, I mean, he was in shape. And she was this rich Egyptian chick. And this is, what, this is what she would say. Hey, look at this, verse 19. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. Um, 21, with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Catch this, 22. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Uh, nothing good comes out of this. If, if you have been caught in this, you, you know that firsthand. Now, here's my question as we pull this together tonight. Because we're all tempted. We're all going to get this in different ways, different times, through different venues. The, the, the question is, how do you stop this? How, be, because what happens? We're tempted, and we'll see some woman. Maybe you're approached. Maybe it's the Internet. Maybe it's this. How do you stop how do you stop from being an ox 
that goes to the slaughter. You guys maybe don't know this, but I'm a Texas cattleman. Um, I just cut my herd in half, so I got two cows now. <laughs> but I had four cows. And um, um, and this one big black cow we had, this Brangus, she had a little baby bull. And um, this little guy kept getting bigger and bigger. And at night, I, I'd go down and just check on him and feed him. And, and I'd walk through the pasture. Well, the older this little bull got, the, uh, the more he didn't like me walking through that pasture. And it wasn't much of a problem when he was real little, but he'd kind of come up at me, you know, and, and uh, he was feeling his oats. Well, he was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And one night, he really charged me, and he came after me. And uh, so uh, the next morning, I called the vet. And three days later, I came home. And as I was driving down by the barn, I saw uh, two testicles hanging off the fence. That's a true story. And they weren't mine. <laughs> That's, we'll edit that part there, you know, guy. <laughs> Lou, you can make a note of that right now. But there were two testicles hanging on. He just went ahead and castrated that sucker and hung the testicles right on the fence. And um, that night, I walked in the pasture without difficulty. Uh, now, this little bull's mother was also very, very cantankerous. Very cantankerous. And... She got to be a bigger problem than the little bull. So I made another call, and a guy shows up with a trailer, and he puts those two in it, and they head off to Decatur to uh, Hamburger Land. <laughs> and they had no idea where they were going. But uh, by that night, they were ground round. Now, see, that's what happens to us when we get sucked in on this stuff. It, it'll ruin your life. Now, my question is, how do I keep from getting my life ruined when I get tempted? When, when you want to see that beauty and you want to treasure it in your heart, what do you do? What do you do? You just keep going on with it for 30 years, for 32 years, and having these feelings and having... What do you do? James says... Confess your sin one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. When a guy is struggling with deep sexual temptation and sexual sin, the only way that can be defeated is to get the help of someone else who is committed to Christ. But see, that's the last thing we want to do because we don't want to admit this guy I talked with this morning who's had all these feelings for years what should he have done he probably should have talked to somebody that he could trust he's in a small group he's got some friends he probably should have taken one of those guys aside that he knows well a guy that will hold it in confidence that won't tell anybody and say I'm having this is nuts 
but I'm having feelings for this gal I dated five years ago. I'm still having feelings. I don't know. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. But, and you know what? They could have talked about it. They could have prayed about it. They could have checked with each other. Hey, how you doing? See, I, see the two are stronger than one. But he didn't do that. And I'm going to tell you, this guy, I know he's just sick about what he did. I know he is. He was sick on the phone about it. He, he was humiliated. He was embarrassed. He, nothing happened except he made himself look like a fool. Boy, wouldn't he like to take that back. See, it's true for all of us. You got, when these things are going on, we've got to get help. We've got to confess it to someone that will hold it in confidence, that, that won't use it to ruin you or to betray you, but someone you've got a track record with. That's how you fight this stuff off. You've got to hook up with somebody. You've got to have a buddy. You've got to have somebody in the foxhole with you. And, and see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to isolate us from other guys. And we think, I can't tell this to anybody. When I was uh, a young pastor, we had a, uh, I, I had a situation where I was working with a couple. And, uh, and we had a series of meetings. And on one particular day, just this wife showed up. And uh, this couple, I mean, they were the same age that Mary and I were. And... Uh, she showed up. Her husband couldn't make it at the last minute. And she showed up, and, you know, I'm just a rookie. So I met with her for a few minutes, and we talked. And then, well, let's set it up for next week, and, and I'll bring my husband. I said, great. That next week, just prior to the meeting, she called and said, uh, he was called out of town. He can't come. And I said, well, that's fine. We'll just reschedule next week. I put the phone down, and I was disappointed that she wasn't coming in. And I, I still remember this very, very clearly. I got a snapshot of this. I remember that desk. I remember that red chair. And I remember being, I, I remember, I thought, why am I disappointed she's not coming in? Because I was not unhappy, and we weren't having, but we, we were doing very well. And I thought, what the heck was this about? And I sat there for a few minutes, and I analyzed it. And, and it was real simple. She was a real attractive gal. If I had been single, if I wasn't married, she'd be the kind of gal I would ask out. She had a great personality. She was just a lot of fun. She was a cute, cute gal. Nothing had happened. Nothing. Nothing. And driving home, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about it. And that night, after we had dinner, I put the kids to bed. I told Mary about it. I said, I got to tell you something that happened today. Because I learned something today. And here's what I learned. Number one, I'll never ever meet with a, with a woman by myself again as long as I live. I don't think I have. Um, but see, I wanted Mary to know about that. I, 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 I figured, you know, the best thing was to let her know. Nothing happened. Nothing was inappropriate. But when I was disappointed, and I, and I said, Mary, you know what? I love you to death. I'd die. I mean, I, I'm, I'm absolutely in love with you. 
But I realize today how subtle the enemy is. And I wanted you to know that. See, that could have divided us. What it did was, it put us closer together because I told her what was in my heart and what I was thinking. And I wasn't trying to cry her out. I was trying to bring her close. But see, the thought was, well, you can't tell her that. Why not? Why not? Why don't I tell her what happened so she can be aware of it and she can pray, she prays for me anyway. Why don't I just tell her? And then there's no issue and then there's no problem. Does that make any sense? But see, oh, I can't do that. Sure you can. Confess your sin or the possibility of sin, one to another. See, sometimes, guys, what was it that Jesus said? Jesus said, if your eye offends you, put on sunglasses. <laughs> Jesus said, if your hand offends you, put it in a cast. It's not what he said. He said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, that's obviously a hyperbole. But he was talking about you take extreme measures when sexual temptation shows up. Why? Because you don't want to be like those two cows heading off on the trailer to Decatur. You don't want to become dead meat. And that's where we're going if we ignore the wisdom of Scripture. It doesn't have to to happen and if it has happened there's mercy and there's forgiveness and there's grace if there's brokenness and repentance in your heart that's the good news let's pray father thank you that this is the subject again because it's certainly not going away in our lives we ought to be scared lord because we're, we're all weak men and we're all prone to wander. But we thank you for your spirit, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Help us to bind this teaching. Help us to bind this wisdom around our neck. And give us the courage, Lord, to get some help. Give us the courage to humble ourselves and to go to someone who we can trust and tell them our struggle and ask them to pray and ask them to join with us so we can fight this battle off and save our lives. All that we have comes from you. Your goodness, your grace, your mercy, it's all from your hand. We thank you for forgiveness. We've all fallen short. We thank you for grace. Lord, when we come to you, we don't have all of our theological ducks in a row. But there has to be a sense of your greatness and of your power. And when you come into our lives, there has to be a sense that we want to follow what you say. And as you instruct us, that we're teachable. We don't want to be just guys who make decisions. We want to be, we want to be guys who are disciples. We want to follow you for the long haul. That's our prayer tonight. Encourages every one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name.